Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. The deal is this. We all have a family tree, but we don't all have the same fruit on the tree. And that's, that's the goal. That's what we're talking about is just, you know, how does our family life lead us to the kind of fruit that we want to see on the family tree? If you Google family values, you're going to find a wide range on the web of uh, different sites that'll have different numbers, you know, some of them just a handful, some of them seven, eight, ten. I found one site had like 25 family values. I thought, dear goodness, most Christians cannot tell you the Ten Commandments. (laughs) Don't worry, there's no quiz this morning. Uh, You're going to be safe. But 25 family values. I thought, wow, that's that's pretty amazing. Uh, Barna did a survey. It was a Christian organization. Barna is, and they they do all kinds of research and stuff into the church world as well as secular world. But they did a survey of Christian homes and found that 70% of them said that they had family values well, 30% or less hadn't even written them down, hadn't really articulated them. What, what, are these, what are these values anyway? What are they all about? Well, they're what we esteem to be relative worth or what we give merit or importance to uh, in, in any way, shape, or form. But in society, they become what we agree upon as being important to how we do life socially, how we interact Socially, that, that's what these values are about. And so we have, we have positive ones, obviously. Uh, we value things like honesty, integrity. Um, we value freedom of choice, don't we? Why are you so quiet this morning? We do have the air conditioning on. No, no point in falling asleep. We value freedom of choice. And guess what? You get to exercise your freedom of choice this week by voting. Mm-hmm. Come on. If you are from a country that does not allow that, you would understand the importance of it in a bigger way. Let's make sure that we use our freedoms that are given to us, amen? And so do do that. Exercise your citizenship and do that. But anyway, I don't know. I digress. Anyway, moving on. Then there's negative, there's negative values as well, where it's like what we think about cruelty, what we think about crime, inappropriate contact. So there's, there's values, there's all these values, there's things that we say, that we say, this is important to me. In Canada, we're known for a particular kind of value. We are known for our apologetic nature where we're always saying, I'm, well, you're good little Canadians here today, aren't you? I'm sorry. Whenever the opportunity arises, we love to throw out the sorry word. Okay, true confession. The other day, I asked Alexa. You all know what Alexa is, do you? Good. Okay, first service thought I had another woman living in our house. But at any rate, (laughs) I asked Alexa to give me a reminder to take out the garbage at a certain time. And then when it responded, I replied, thank you. And uh, which caught my wife's attention. She said, you know, I have to tell you, the other day I put the Roomba vacuum. You know what a Roomba is? Everybody knows me. Uh, yeah, a little disc thing so high, it's a little robot dealy. So she said, I put the Roomba vacuum in a certain area of the house and, and then I opened the door and I walked in and I bumped into it and I said, sorry. <laughs> so 
It is so ingrained in our culture that we are apologizing to robots. Okay. So family values, but family culture, let's talk about family culture because family culture is actually like the trunk of the tree. It's what holds everything together. It's what gives life to it. The family culture is really the trunk of our family tree. It defines what our family is all about. We're very familiar with using the word culture when it comes to society. And we'll talk about, well, Canadian culture, American culture, some other nationality, you know, what are the customs in their culture? So that's typically how we will use that word. But the truth of the matter is this. Every family has a culture, has a culture. Your family culture is how you actually behave as a reflection of what you believe to be how you should live. And so your family culture affects how you spend your time and money. It's how you make decisions. It's what governs your choices in every area of life. It's the actions that reflect what's really going on inside of your heart. It's not just what you believe, but it's how you behave. It's not what you say that you believe either. Culture is about our patterns of behavior that are founded in our beliefs. And so the Word of God addresses our conduct um, as, as how it should be to be a testimony of Jesus in our life. But you know that the Bible doesn't just address us as individuals, but there's actually Scripture that addresses family culture. What should the culture of your family look like? I want to read you one of those. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. As for you, Titus, Paul is writing and says, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. So he's asking the ladies to back off, hanging around Johnny, Jack, and Bud here. At any rate, moving on. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children and to live wisely and to be pure and to work in their homes and to do good and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Paul is encouraging Titus to teach these families how to live in such a way that the culture, the example that comes from their lives is actually a testimony of their faith in Jesus and an example of what it means to live a godly life. And so he's setting a family culture in this passage. He's saying, listen, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. In other words, there should not be a disconnect 
between what you believe and what, how you're teaching people to conduct their lives. Their lives should reflect the teaching. It should be connected. Then he's telling them, you should be an example. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. You know, even, even with single people, the scripture addresses their life as well. And, and really what it's saying is, as a single person, you can have a culture in your world that will translate into your family when that eventually comes into your life. But it's not about like, well, you know, one day I'll get married and we'll figure out what our family culture is gonna be. No, it's the word of God teaches that as a single person, you can establish things that will just carry on into your future. First Timothy chapter four, verse 12. This is Paul writing to Timothy, who's, uh, you know, a younger uh, person uh, involved with ministry. He says, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Then he says this, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Paul says, listen, your age has got nothing to do with it. You can be an example. Scripture puts a heavy emphasis on our faith impacting our conduct. Scripture does not uh, treat faith as being kind of this isolated thing where it's like, oh, what do you believe? What do you believe? Well, here's what the Bible says. Well, here's what I believe. And and then we have like all these beliefs and we have uh, all this theology, but then we look at the conduct of our life and don't have any kind of connection that's happening or realize that there's an absolute association between what you believe and how you live. Scripture doesn't allow for that kind of duality in life where our beliefs and our, or our values, if you will, are one thing, but then have conduct and culture that is disconnected from those values and those beliefs. Doesn't allow for it. In fact, I would say that the values really don't become the trunk of the family tree, and I'll tell you why because culture trumps values. Culture trumps values. I'm gonna give explanation to that. First of all, values are what we say are important to us, but culture is what we demonstrate is important to us. Culture is what we demonstrate. People who say, you know, and this happens all the time. I mean, you can see people, you could ask them what their values are. and They might throw out one and say, well, I value... Um, good health. I value being in shape and, be, you know, good health. But then they're like Taco Bell Tuesday, Wednesday's, Wednesdays on, on Wednesday, Five Guys on Friday, Subway on Saturday, go to churches that serve things like elephant ears and beaver tails. I mean, all kinds of stuff that just violates that particular value. And so what's more important, the fact that they value good health or the habits and culture of their eating? Well, obviously, it's about what they do. It's not about what they may believe. Anybody can say, you know, oh, I believe it's important to have good health. But obviously, it's the culture. It's the, it's the how we do life that actually will make the difference. You have people who say, well, I value financial stability. Who wouldn't? And yet, you can live a life of impulsive spending, scrolling through Facebook Marketplace and Amazon and all, all the rest of it. You can say, well, I value family time. How many of you know sitting on your couch staring at your phone is not family time? Just because the kids are in the room or your spouse is in the room or all the rest of it. People who say, I value my Christian faith. Obviously, as believers, we're to ask you your values. 
that would come out, uh, you know, of your mouth. You would probably say, well, I value my faith in, in Jesus, and that's great. But the question becomes this. What is the culture that you've developed in your life that is reflective of that Christian faith? Or do you actually have a culture that somebody could look at you and go, obviously, you're a believer? Because why? Because you practice a, a daily time with God and prayer and devotions and getting into the into the Bible, like reading the Bible by yourself. And, and that's actually a habit. You know, the fact that you're in church, but not just in church, but a part of a local church and, and involved and serving and giving and all the rest of it. The fact that you pray, the fact that you reach out to others and share your faith with others are all the kinds of things that should be in our culture that reflect our value of Jesus in our life. You see, we can say that we value our faith and following Jesus, yet our conduct, our conduct can constantly be, you know, allowing other things to really keep us from living in that kind of culture, keep us from having any kind of personal devotions with the Lord, keep us from actually being able to be involved in a local church and all the rest of it, because why? What's important gets done. And, and when our life is always setting a, an agenda that says there's something else that's more important than this, then we have to say our culture is sending a different message than what we say is our values. And you know what? I, I've watched parents actually sacrifice their children's spiritual life on the altar of sports and other activities. And, you know, one day they're going to be at a place where, you know, they're going to need a strong faith in God and a strong relationship with Christ. And talking to Wilson, the volleyball, is not going to help them in that moment. Values can be our preference when it's convenient. And culture is the outworking, though, of our convictions. That's really what culture becomes. James chapter two and verse 14 says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? And it goes on to say, now, someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. Here he is. He says, somebody can say there's this separation. These things are individually by themselves and disconnected. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And so the choices that we make in life are actually showing the reality of our faith and, and where we're at in the culture of our family. So when you think about it that way, when you think about this connection between our values and our practices, between you know what, what we say that we believe and how we actually do life, when you think about that connection, the question is this, if someone was to watch your life or your family life, what values list would that generate? Would that list match what you believe to be your list? Would that list, you know, speak to what you would say that you're devoted to? What would they say that your life demonstrates by how you manage things like your time and your resources? What might they say is number one in your world? How might that list compare to what you believe are your values? And more importantly, how might that list compare to what Scripture says should be our values? The culture that we have in our lives 
is a true reflection of what's important to us, no matter what we might declare as being our values and beliefs. What we demonstrate carries way more weight to it than what we say about ourselves. Values are our present opinion. Culture is reflected in our daily habit. I could ask you what your values are today, and you might give me a list. And, you know, a week from now, I could say, well, what are your values? And maybe you forget a couple of those things on the list, add a couple more, and it's just your present opinion. Culture is your daily habits, how you're doing life, what we say versus what we live. You know, everybody has an opinion. If you go and you ask them, well, what is your opinion about this, opinion about that? They may have absolutely zero knowledge, but they're going to have an opinion, give you their opinion. You know, the culture of our lives and family is reflected, though, not in our opinion, but in our daily lives, our habits, our routines, the practices that have just become the norm for us. The New Testament does teach us theology. Absolutely, it does. And it teaches us right beliefs, and it teaches us morality, and it teaches about Jesus and salvation and all the rest of it. But often in the letters to the churches, what was being addressed had more to do with the living out of that faith and the actions that were going on in people's lives than it did simply their beliefs. It addressed their conduct. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Boy, this is super direct, isn't it? Paul is writing and he's saying, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do your Christian life the way I'm doing mine. I want you to look at how I live out following Jesus. And then I just want you to follow that same pattern. I want you to follow the same. Paul is exhorting these believers to look at him and look at, at others who are also following him as an example, as a pattern after which they can live their lives. How do you do life? How, how do you live out your faith at home? How do you practice following Jesus in the workplace and in just general society? He says this, why don't you just follow my pattern? That'd be the easiest way for you to get this figured out. 2 Thessalonians 3.7, he says, for you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We, we never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Now here he's being super specific. He's talking about working and being responsible for your own lives, not being a burden to others or putting it on them as though it's their job if you're an able-bodied person, all the rest of it. But here's the point. We should live a life that, is actually, that actually is worthy of being referred to as an example. We should live a life that's actually worthy of being referred to as an example. Your life should be one that others could say, you should do like they do. Come on. That's the goal. That's the standard. That's, that's what we need to be looking to be. You, you, you should be that person who others can say, why don't you lead their, your family the way they lead their family? Why don't you love your spouse the way 
they love their spouse. Why don't you raise your kids the way they raise your kids? Hey, why don't you do church the way they do church? Come on. So when you think about your choices and how you act, you could literally ask yourself, what do I want my kids to act like? Would I want them to act the way that I'm acting right now? How do I want my neighbor to act? Would I want him to act the way I'm acting right now? Am I setting an example for others to follow or do I just take liberties and then only think about myself? How's this affect me? How, you know, what do I feel like? What do I want in this moment? What are my needs? You know, a lot of times that's the problem is that we think like we're an island. We're not an island. We're a landmass. We're connected. In family life, you're connected to generations. You're connected. You're not an island. You can't think, how does this affect me? What do I want? You can't think individually. You have to think with a bigger picture of how is my life being an example to those who are already following, who are already looking. When we set the right culture in our lives, it literally becomes instruction for others. Values may shift in emphasis from generation to generation, but culture has longevity to it. Culture has longevity to it. You know, I could ask you to identify, and I'm sure you could, things that um, you did in your family life growing up that are now a part of your home today. And, and not like just even simple things, like the way that your parents had done life and how they ran home. And you can, if you stop and look, you realize I actually am duplicating. I'm actually following that example uh, just, just by default. I mean, it's just the way it is. And so, you know, maybe your family had a culture that was very connected and it was very, you know, orderly. And it was like, this is the time we eat and we are all here ready on time to eat. And that was your family. Maybe your family was very different. Maybe your family life was like, okay, dinner will be cooked. Eat it when you want to. We're all busy. But, you know, maybe once a week, we'll try to get everybody together at the same table at the same time. Maybe that was the culture. I don't know how you did vacations, where you did vacations. All these things are all part of the culture of the family that you grew up in, and you can find yourself just kind of defaulting into some of those uh, similar patterns. But more importantly, there's a culture around your faith in Jesus and how you live out your walk with the Lord that can have a longevity to it. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1 says, This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again. I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we're together again. And he says this, I remember your genuine faith, for you share in the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God has given you when I laid hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, 
but a power of love and of self-discipline. Paul says, I, 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 I'm reminded of that, that genuine faith, that genuine faith. Paul is not talking about just a, a head knowledge here. He's not like just referring to a cerebral kind of what you think about Jesus, what you believe about Jesus, and all, all that sort of thing. Paul's looking at something bigger. He's looking at a faith that's being lived out, a genuine faith. In other words, your faith in Christ has impacted the way that you live and the way that you do life. And he's looking and he's saying, I see that genuine faith being lived out in you the same way it was being lived out in your mom, the same way it was being lived out in your grandmother. He's recognizing the kind of faith that Timothy's you know, grandparents and mother had in them was now in him. And it's a faith that led Timothy to be a person of action, somebody to get involved in ministering the gospel. He was a person who was active with his faith, not passive with his faith. He, he was a person who had a faith that said, I'm gonna be a difference maker. I'm not sitting on the bench and watching others. I'm gonna be in the game. I'm gonna be a difference maker. It was a faith that was about promoting the gospel, not just believing the gospel. Now, sadly, in our culture uh, of Christianity, you know, here, I mean, I can only speak for the culture I live in, but here in Canada, it's, it's almost like we can say, well, I'm a Christian. And, and then we look at a spectrum and we say, okay, what kind of Christian are you? You know, what, what flavor are you? Uh, because we have people who say, I'm a Christian, but are extremely passive about their faith. In other words, they, they don't really do anything with it. It's like, I acknowledge Jesus and to prove it, I come to church at Christmas and Easter. I show up, happy birthday, Jesus. Show up again at Easter. Sorry that happened to you. <laughs> you know. All the way to a genuine faith where it's like, Jesus has made all the difference in my life and I believe God wants to use me to make a difference in the lives of others. And they're active and they're passionate and they pray and they read their own Bible and they evangelize and share their faith and they get involved in church and they, they tithe and are generous and are, are active in service and all the rest. Why? Because they have this genuine faith, this genuine Jesus has changed my life and I believe God wants to use me to change others' kind of faith. How many of you know something? If you got a choice, you want to be on this side. You really do. You really do. Don't just be a church goer. We got lots of those. They don't make any difference. They just cost us a lot of money because you got to buy a big building to take care of them. Don't just be that person who only engages your faith on Sunday morning. Hello. Don't just be that person whose Bible collects dust during the week. Don't be that person who's never actually done a study of yourself where you've actually opened the scriptures and said, I'm gonna look into this. I'm gonna read this for me, to grow me. You know, that, that can be the culture that gets passed down into the generations. And it's really sad when you have this very passive faith and then you watch it and you go, oh my gosh, your kids are like you, except they're just turned down a little bit more milk toast kind of, you know, they're just even cooler than what you're at. You're lukewarm, they're, going, they're sliding into cold. And it's really sad. But it's wonderful when it's on the other side where you have a, a passionate 
family, you have passionate adults, and you see that being transferred down, and it's the same default, but it's a better substance of what's happening, and they're watching their parents get their prayers answered, and, and miracles happening, and God doing things, and an excitement, and an enthusiasm about knowing Jesus, and that gets transferred into their heart as well. Why? Because they're not growing up around a dead faith, but a living God. Amen? Values are established in our thoughts, but culture flows from our heart. Culture flows from our heart. As Luke chapter 6, 45 says, a good man brings good things out of the good that's stored up in his heart. And then it goes on to say, an evil man is bringing it from the same place. It's from their heart. For this reason, culture becomes not just something you do, but what you love. Culture becomes what you love. It's about what you set your heart on. That's why the, the scripture says that you're to watch over your heart with all diligence. Why? Because if you set your heart in the wrong place, you'll develop the wrong culture. That's what relationship, the relationship is with culture in our lives. The culture in your family is about what you love to do. It flows from the heart. It's memorable. You know, values, you can forget your values list. Next week, make up another one. Doesn't really matter because it's not the trunk of what's holding your family together anyway. But culture is what's in your heart. It's what just flows out of you. It's what you just naturally do. It's just who you are. It's the way it is. Well, you can be at church because of your faith and say, well, I have a faith in Jesus. Or you can be at a church because you say, I love Jesus and I love his church. How I many know there's a difference? You can be at church because, well, this is what we're supposed to do. Or you can be at church because this is what I love to do. I don't want just to be a person that says, well, I love Jesus. I want to love the whole thing. I want to love not just the head, but the body. Come on. That's what we're to be connected to. We're not to see them separate like, well, I love Jesus. I love the head of the church, but the body, well, you know, that, that's kind of optional. No, it's not. You can't say you love Jesus and then not love his church. You have to love his church. Why? Because Jesus loved his church and died for it. That's what the scripture says. But when that happens, when your heart is there, when you're like, man, I love Jesus and I love the church of Jesus Christ, what that does is it changes motivation and now you build a culture of relationship to the local church that flows out of your heart. Church isn't something you do that at times interrupts your schedule. Church is what you love. It's a tangible representation of Jesus Christ in the earth today. That's what the church is. We are called living stones, not living stone, living stones. We're in relationship with one another. We are part of his body. We are participating members who function in proper working order, it says in Ephesians. We are a place of hospitality that loves strangers. Church is a family. Church is an army on a mission. Church is God's plan A, and he doesn't have a plan B. You're not potted, by the way, in the church like this tree is. That's why we can pick it up and move it every Sunday. You're to be planted in the house of God. Our family culture should reflect the value that Jesus puts on his church. Let's stand as we pray. Father, I thank you that we all have this amazing opportunity to lead families. God, you're a family God. It's how you literally started the world. You, you built a family. I thank you, Father, that your church is a family as well. And I thank you, Father, that, that we can guide our families with the same values that we see in Scripture that Jesus places towards holiness, towards purpose, towards eternity, towards his house.
Lord, I thank you for each of us, just you moving in our own hearts to make adjustments, to look at our lives and make sure that the culture that we're living reflects the beliefs that we have. Spirit of God, I thank you for empowering us as we may make some changes this week, as we may look at things in our life and go, you know what, this has been too much of an interruption. This is taking away from what I say that I wanna be. This is a distraction. Lord, as we address those things, Holy Spirit, I thank you for making us aware of them so they can be addressed. And Lord, may we build a culture that's flourishing. May we build a house that is full of joy of serving you, God, and that that translates down into the generations, that that's what we pass on in Jesus' name. Their heads are bowed. I wanna pray one more prayer because as I've talked about you know, what it means to really be a Christian, to really allow Christ into your life and affect your life and, and not just be a person who's got a, a little bit of religious knowledge and, and you know, kind of a, a token show up to church once in a while, all the rest, but, but really somebody who's had a life change and says, man, I know Jesus. He's in my world and I'm living to serve him. If you wanna be that kind of Christian, there's a response you need to have to God called surrender. And I can promise you this, that, if you've not experienced that level of life change, that there's not been the surrender. I know, because I lived it out as a teenager. I had all the beliefs right, but I'd never surrendered yet to God. But today's the good news, because this is your moment where you can talk to God right where you're standing and tell Him, Lord, today I surrender. Today I surrender. Today I allow you to be the Lord of my life. Today I encounter Jesus, and I wanna live for Him for the rest of my life. With their heads bowed, how many here would say, Pastor, include me in that prayer. Can you just give me a wave right where you're standing? Just give me a wave. That's you. This is what I'm doing today. Today, I surrender. Today, I want to be real with God. Today, I don't want to be just a token by name only. I want to live this thing out the way it's supposed to be lived. That's awesome. Let's pray with those who are praying. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me enough that you died for me. And you rose from the grave to offer a new life in you. I ask you to forgive my past. I invite you into my world. I confess you as my Savior, as the Lord of my life, as the one I will follow from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.